0: forever
1: This is Gods to Ghost Volleyball, and I'm your host, Scott Bemke. We're back for our second and final part of our interview with Alan Siegel. Before we get started with part two, if you are interested, please make a visit to our website, which is gods to ghosts.com. That's G O D S T O G H O S T S.com. On it you'll find all of our prior podcasts that we've been fortunate enough to do with many of the other players in the history of the sport, as well as some rare photos that we've acquired from legendary photographers like Bob Van Wagner, Kevin Goff, and Robbie Hutas, as well as some amazing video footage that we've acquired from people as well. Let's get started with part two of our interview with the man who was there, otherwise known as Alan Siegel. Let's roll. So in terms of, uh, we talked about O'Hara, we discussed Bright, um, Selznick, Lang. So were there, uh, you kind of briefly mentioned Butch May and Von Hagen uh, uh, being some big names earlier. Um, let's hear your re- recollections of uh, of those guys and anyone else you want to get in, in terms of some of the, the better players that competed back in the day that you enjoyed watching and are, were privileged to see.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've, I've uh, okay, uh, I'll go, I'll tell you about the Laguna Open, which was probably in, uh, it was either 63 or 64, I'm not, I can't remember exactly which year it was, but I was kind of thinking it was 63, and uh, it was Selznick and Lang got upset in that open tournament. They lost in the first round, got put in the loser's bracket by stepping off and a friend of mine, Ricky Vansel, that was uh, a guy that I played with and was a friend of mine, and that was a huge upset, and I... I think in lang's uh interview i remember listening to his interview that you had with him he talked about them losing a game in laguna on the first first round to uh, he, he called them nobodies which uh <laughs> they weren't but ricky was george wasn't but uh and the reason they lost was somehow stepping off or not stepping off, uh Selznick got kind of bored during the match. I mean, he started he started not spiking the ball, and he was just doing shots. and uh, And Lang was getting madder and madder. I mean, I've never seen any conflict between those guys before, but in that one match, uh, for some reason, Selznick just kind of gave up on it and didn't uh, didn't care. So that was an interesting match. And then we. My partner, I played with this guy called Al Spider Reeves, and he was kind of a well known drag racer, car drag racer in those days. But he played volleyball and he hung out at South Mission Beach and the, the group there. And so we drew Von Hagen and Randy Carter. And I had never, or Rand Carter, I had never played against Von Hagen before. And I, I knew who he was and, you know, I knew what I'd seen him play. But the most amazing thing about in the warm ups of the game, when we were hitting the ball, he would chase it down and bring it back for us. Which, you know, I just thought, oh, this is really bizarre. This guy's triple A. He's kind of a a king of the courts. And, uh, you know, he's he's chasing (laughs) balls and bringing them back for us, you know. And I just thought, that's amazing. And Carter was just kind of standing there cool. He was a. Ex quarterback for San Jose State, I think. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we we started playing them, and it was windy. The morning was windy, and we were playing them on one court at the same time that Vansel and Stepanoff were playing uh, uh, Selznick So we didn't have much of a crowd. There was hardly anybody watching us, and it was two games to eleven, and we lost the first game twelve to ten, and I was just you know jubilant i mean i thought holy cow we played even with uh, the and they were seated first they were seated ahead of Selznick and lang in that tournament so i thought with the number one seat so i was thrilled and then in the second game rand got uh, serious and they beat us like 11-4 or 11-5 but still uh, that to me was a kind of a moral victory and i knew because i was only again 18 years old in that in that game or in that tournament so, but the highlight of that tournament, and it was the, probably the greatest match I've ever seen in old school two-man beach volleyball in a tournament, was the last match of the day. And, and if you know Laguna, I don't know if you've been there, but the courts are like right near the sidewalk where you know, lots of people walk up and down. And uh, the beach is very small and it's, it's got this very soft sand. And so I call it a David and Goliath match because it was
1: <laughs> Bordwell and Nate Parrish. And Bordwell was one of my favorite players. It was Bordwell and Nate Parrish against Erickson and Ernie Sawara. Oh, and, gosh. So Nate Parrish yeah, so and Davey so Bordwell against <laughs> Keith Erickson. Two, two bombers against two,
0: two guys. Well, Nate was six foot, but Bordwell was like 5'8, maybe even 5'7. But. He could jump like crazy.
1: Yeah, he and uh,
0: and you couldn't block over, so it might have been sixty three rather than sixty four, because you you couldn't block over the net. So that that was helped Boardwell and Nate. And so this game went on. I mean, it was side out after side out, and there was digs, incredible digs by Boardwell and Nate, and incredible straight down hits uh, by Sowora, was sweating and he was drilling balls from the strong side the left side and they were going into the crowd over there where the sidewalk was and some even into the street you know and nobody would stop it because the cars drove really close to the sidewalk there and a huge crowd I mean people were sitting on buildings watching them they were standing on the sidewalk the beach was filled with people watching the game It, it was really a spectacle and I was just so stoked I couldn't believe it and the the game ended up the the Goliath won. I mean, David did as good as they could, but Goliath won twenty three to twenty one. I still remember the score because it was so spectacular, and every point was so hard fought. You know, and and you don't know who is what the outcome was going to be, but Bordwell and Nate became kind of the crowd favorite. At first, it was it was kind of split between half and half. But then, toward the end, when it got when the scores got into nineteen to eighteen and uh, twenty to nineteen, and uh, the crowd started switching to Boardwell and Nate because they were, you know, they, Nate would go over and shake hands with people on the sidelines that were cheering for them and stuff, and Boardwell was doing stuff, and they were engaging the crowd. And uh, when they lost, everybody was kind of disappointed. But man, it was it was that defined old school volleyball for me. It was one of the greatest matches and probably the greatest match I ever saw in a tournament. So that was a good memory of mine uh, in Laguna. And let me think, what else happened there? Oh, no, I mean, yeah, that was at Laguna. The, what, in the Laguna tournament, I'll, I'll tell you a quick Chester Goss story. Uh, he and Henry Bergman were playing together and they were they got into the second day sunday and they had a match that was going to be at nine o'clock in the morning the next day on sunday and that night saturday we ran into chester somewhere at a bar or somewhere and he was really ripped i mean he had been drinking and he was he was really ripped and one of the guys that was with us it might have been stevie goss said the uh, said, Chester, man, you got a game tomorrow at 9. you got to be ready for it, you know, because Henry was a real straight guy. I mean, he I don't think he drank. I don't think he was partier at all, and uh, so Chester said, oh, no, no, don't worry. I'll be there. I'll be there. you be there at 9 <laughs> o'clock. You'll see me on the court. So the next morning, we all wanted to see this game, because, you know, Chester, they were from San Diego, and they were, I can't remember who they are playing, but we go down there and uh, everybody's going, we get there a little before nine, everybody's going, anybody know where Chester is? And, uh, and you know, nobody knew. And so, Stevie said, well, what court were you, is he gonna play on? And they looked it up on the board and they said, would well, anybody check the court? And they go, uh, well, no, you know? And so we walk over there and there's this guy laying on his stomach naked, totally naked, on the court, and it was Chester. So he was, he was there. He got there by nine o'clock and. Uh and I can't remember who they played, but they won the match. They got him a bathing suit, and they won the match.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is just classic. He probably doesn't know where his clothes were or what happened. No, but, uh... he,
0: didn't, he didn't know anything. He just knew he was there. He had to be there at 9
2: o'clock. I think he probably slept there all night, took his clothes off and slept on right before, You know, and waited for Henry. And, and Bergman didn't say a word. I mean, he
0: never acknowledged him uh, or said a word. But when they played together, they won but I don't know how they did in the tournament. I, I don't know. They didn't really stay partners very long. They Because they, Chester wasn't as disciplined as Bergman was with his off-the-volleyball-court uh, <laughs> behavior. You
1: know. Yeah, well, it's safe to say he uh, could uh, hit uh, someone in a fight and hit the beer as hard as he could hit a volleyball. <laughs> so it was yeah. a trifecta.
0: Yeah, and it, but he was it was amazing because... You know, Hattie, that was the one thing about volleyball players then, they didn't train at all. I mean, I don't think they didn't have special diets, you know, as athletes, they drank as much as they wanted. In fact, it was more fun to talk about how much partying you did the night than how you played in the tournament. And there was a very few, there was a few of them that were very serious about conditioning. And I think one of the first players that I became aware of that uh, was a guy that played at San Diego state and kind of played on the beach there a little once in a while. And he was a friend of, of a friend of mine, Ricky Vansels. And I never really met him. I, well, I met him, but I never really knew him was Bob Clem and Clem was one of the first guys to take, you know, being an athlete serious. I mean, he ate all the right foods and he trained and he, he worked out and, uh, It showed, I mean, he was a great player, and uh, so it showed in in his performance. Uh, But none of the other guys, I mean, Nate had horrible eating habits, and uh, (laughs) he drank like crazy, and Chester, and uh, some of the other players from San Diego, so. And I know LA, there was a lot of guys like that too, that were party guys. So let me tell, I'll I'll talk quickly about some of the players that I remember from the other beaches. Santa Barbara had a great, a great tribe or clique of players. Uh, there was the, the patriarch of Santa Barbara was this guy Dennis Byrd, who was a good guy, a really nice guy, and a good player. He was a AAA player, and uh, he. Some of the other guys were Bobby Garcia, who was, uh, who was kind of a comedian, but again a, a good player and a under six foot player. Uh, one of your favorites, and one of my favorites, Rich Ruffero,
1: who... Riff uh, Raff, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) or Horbate, as he liked to refer to himself back in the day. Yeah, he was, (laughs) I mean, he was just a good-looking guy, he was really a
0: stylish player, I mean, his approach to hitting the ball was like watching a ballet dancer, I mean, he, he, I I still can kind of picture it in my mind, he would come in, and then he would jump straight up, and spike the ball straight down, and just a really classy player and a good looking guy and uh... he got all, a lot of the women around the court. I mean it was rumored that he could just point to a girl and uh... <laughs> and she'd come over and then he'd say meet me at such and
1: such a time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he'd, and there. he'd there. even get her to bring the beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So That's what happens when you got a, a maroon 60 uh... Pontiac Bonneville, I guess you get all the babes and you can hit the ball straight down like riffraff. Must be rough.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I, I, uh, you know, he played for the Olympic Club one year and he was was really good indoors and he he never lived up to his potential and I think it was because
1: other things in life were more important to him than volleyball, you know. Yeah, he He had a full-time job and he also enjoyed a cigarette and a beer and a babe. Uh, at the end yeah, of the exactly. night so those,
0: those were his priorities Had had he come along when you could earn a living from volleyball then he might have lived up to his potential but he was such a talented athlete he was really really a good player and, and another guy that was similar to him same size and same kind of body shape steve keel was a, a really good player uh, from santa barbara uh Bill Smythe was a guy that played for the Olympic Club, and I, you know, he was a great beach player. And he had he had a partner. The guy's name was Smuzz, Smuz, S M U Z. I can't remember
1: his last th- name, but th- yeah, I think it was, was Tom. Kind of a Tom uh, yeah, uh, Tom something. Yeah,
0: yeah, Tom. I think that was it. Tom he Smuzz. Prank, he,
1: was, he was kind of a prankster from uh, you know Santa
0: Barbara from East Beach there, and then there's some guys that were like me, you know, uh, on kind of the fringe of it, uh, Mike Griffin, my college roommate, before he came up to San Francisco State, and uh, and Louis Lopez, Louis used to play there, who you know, who's got some great videos of he volleyball. He sure does. And, and then Henry Bergman, Bergman was the star from the beach there, from San East Beach. Uh, and I think Karch's dad, that's where he played too at uh, East Beach in Santa Barbara.
1: So. Yeah, last I believe he did. Yeah, I think I've seen some of that footage, and he's well um, entrenched. They had a lot of those lunch hour games. Those guys would go down there and play. I think he was like maybe a, an optometrist or ophthalmologist or something along those lines up there, and they would play games during the week. So how cool? Yeah, it, was,
0: it was a cool volleyball beach. It really was, and it was uh, it had a big lawn, not you know, right next to the beach, and it was at a, it was that kind of the southern part of Hollywood, close, or not Hollywood, of uh, uh, Santa Barbara, kind of closer to Montecito, which is a, the, a really nice area. But so East Beach, and then you came down the coast, and you, uh, the, which I called the Triangle, which was State Beach and uh, Serena and Manhattan Beach, and Manhattan was the furthest south of those three. And what was so unique about those three beaches at the time, in Santa Barbara, there was one, maybe two courts on the beach, on East Beach. And in San Diego, there was basically one until we convinced uh, them to let us put up a workup court next to the one. Uh, but there was only one court on the whole beach in the early 60s. And then in uh, Laguna, there was only one court in the 60s. And uh, Corona Del Mar had two, and but man, you drove by State Beach. There was like twenty courts on the beach there, and Manhattan had like ten courts, and Sereno had like three or four courts, and it was really impressive because you knew that that's where that's what made all the great players from the L.A. area was they competed against each other all the mm-hmm. time, you know. Even on regular days, they just competed against each other. So, Laguna, a couple guys I didn't mention. Well, you mentioned Clyde Hyatt. Clyde was a good player, too. I mean, besides being kind of a a prankster, and he was a prankster, he was a a great player. Uh, There was a guy named Pete Ott, who was really an interesting character, because he had this beard, he's about six foot tall, And he never played in tournaments other than the Laguna Open. He would play in the Laguna Open. And he had a
1: vertical jump of about 40 inches off Quicksand. I mean, that's yeah, that Laguna sand. I had been there once, and I remember like I got tired walking from the ocean to the sidewalk. I couldn't imagine (laughs) playing in a tournament and jumping like you guys did, or I just I'm like, gosh, no wonder I. I Yeah, it was
0: horrible for me. I hated it. I hate playing there, but he (laughs) he could he could get up and hit the ball straight down, and he was one of the most underrated players. of that era because he never played in any tournaments other than one in Laguna and he, he would always do well there. He would always place so he had a triple A rating. And the one year I remember seeing him playing his best well it was the same year that uh, that Boardwell uh, match was in Paris was he played with this this young guy who was like 17 my age, and his name was Anderson, I can't remember his
1: name. I think that name. was Mike Anderson, yeah.
0: Okay, well it was, uh, so Ott and Anderson, Pete Ott and Anderson, and man, they were a good team. And they they probably finished in the top five in that tournament that year, and there was really great players in that tournament. So, uh, yeah, I was real impressed, because... I hadn't seen either one of them play until then. I'd heard stories about Pete Dot but had never seen him play, so he was great. And then Corona Del Mar was a guy, Bill Wetzel, and uh, he was kind of the head guy there, and I don't know any of the other players
1: from. Corona. Did you ever get a chance to see uh, John Valilee play? I know his window was relatively small and like 69, 70 uh, right around there before his knees went. But, you know, anyone that can win a couple NCAA championships for uh, Coach Wooden on the basketball court and then go out on the beach when he's like 20, 21 years old, play with Ron Von Hagen and just dominate in the Manhattan Beach Open, that's a, an impressive feat. But I, I know he had a kind of a shorter window there that he played. But by all accounts, yeah, no, he was I, just a lord.
0: I did see Valet play, and I I, uh, I actually admired him because I, I've been a UCLA basketball fan since the early 60s, since uh, Lou Alcindor uh, was a freshman, and the freshman team at that time couldn't play. Freshmen couldn't play on the varsity team. The varsity team had one the NCAA tournament the year before, and so the first year of Lou Alcindor, they were the freshman team, and they had a scrimmage against the national champions, which was the varsity team at UCLA, and they beat them, and the the freshmen beat them really badly, because Alcindor got like 30 points in the game against them, so I've been a fan since then, and I knew Val- I knew of Valet and I've seen him play because Brian Lewis senior who then wasn't called senior because his son hadn't grown up he was just a little toddler but Brian Lewis was good friends with John Valley and uh, and another guy Woody Brooks who was a friend of theirs but Valet was a great player I mean he was really smooth he, he could jump again he had a great jump because he was a great jump shooter and he was a great player in fact he, he was in an era there with other good basketball players. Greg Lee was a, a great player. And, but at this, this point, when those guys were all really good in the late 60s and the 70s, I was kind of done with the beach tournaments other than Santa Cruz. I mean, I only played in Santa Cruz every Memorial Day in the Open tournament. But when I was in San Diego on vacation, I would see those guys play if there was a tournament down there. And another guy uh, that I thought was an incredible player, and I think he 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 missed it because he just was too old when A V P started, was Jim Mangus. Mangus was a great player. I mean, he had all the skills, and he probably would have made, he could have made money. It must have been really frustrating to him. It was probably like, you know, the old football players who didn't get in on the big contracts or the old uh, NBA players who didn't get in on the big contracts. Mangus' career was kinda of winding down just when A V P was starting to pay people to play volleyball.
1: Yeah, and I think and that, that uh Mikasa Suede spike, you know, started to take its toll on his shoulder, which he already had repaired from a I think a football injury. I uh, he you know, he was a hell of a defensive back at Sam O'High High School. And then uh you know, he had all those great shots and everything else. So yeah, that was a a bummer for him. The good thing is I think he got to play against the Langs and the Von Hagens and Shamalis and all those guys up to like the Sinjin and Karches and Selznicks and Fishburns and Gages and and everyone but uh the one downfall is that uh you know he just missed out on the money but uh you know sometimes there's things worth more than that and uh he sure has his uh place Pantheon of uh or Parthenon of uh greatest players to ever play on the beach uh, without question
0: Oh, yeah, no, he, I mean, he won, like, 60 tournaments or something, and I mean, there's a whole, I haven't really talked about the whole middle era, which was, you know, there's the old school era, which was the early 60s to maybe the mid to late 60s, but then there was a period, like, from the late 60s to the 80s, there was great players, Mangus and Gage and M. Wally and, uh... And, uh, Greg Lee and uh, you know Valale, and there was a, a lot of great players during that. Shamalas was one of the hardest hitters I've ever seen spike a ball. I mean, his his balls would bounce higher than most skyball serves. You know, so <laughs> he, he he was a really powerhouse on the court. So uh, yeah, I haven't talked about those guys because I really didn't play against any of those guys. I got to play against Cart and Sinjin in santa cruz at the open one time when they were just rookies i mean they were you know just out of college and uh, and they were still really great players uh but they were actually playing together in that tournament and i played against gage and m wally at santa cruz i mean i lost all these guys but at least i got to play against them Uh I never played against Alley or Greg Lee, but, uh, oh, and then I played against Wilton. Yeah. Another guy I didn't mention is Vogelsang, who was, he's a guy that, you know, I know his image, what his image is, but he was a heck of a player. He's really an underrated player for how, how good he was. And, uh, and i don't i think his antics on the court and his
2: personality kind of overrode his his skills because he was really a
0: skilled player and uh, you know he would always place he was always triple a he would always placed in the higher echelons he just didn't do what lang or von hagen or mangus did which is win you know a whole bunch of tournaments in a row but uh, he was one of the top players too of that era
1: yeah he sure was. I think he's widely considered to be one of the most talented players never to win an open. I think he had made it to the finals of maybe eight uh but it had always come up short because uh he um you know he'd either cramp or he'd lose interest and you know just start <laughs> you know doing you know go doing his antics and whatnot so uh yeah he was he was another one of those classic uh a great athlete and player, but also classic characters that you know that was just uh, made that time period special.
0: Yeah, he was. When we played uh, against Wilt, he was Wilt's partner in Santa Cruz, and uh, it was like a mixed doubles team. I mean, he 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 had Wilt kind of stand off to the side, and uh, he covered three fourths of the court, and uh, Wilt wasn't much of a setter. And so, uh, but he could hit the ball. You know, we were shocked. We our our mistake was serving him, and because uh, we thought Wilt would give him a bad set or throw it, and we'd have a big advantage that way. And uh, it didn't matter where Wilt put the ball up; he would bump the set, so he wouldn't get called to throw. Uh, Vogelsang saying would hit. I mean, he would hit it from mid court. He would hit, or he would do a shot from you know mid court. He would. It was really impressive, and uh, I, I thought after the game, you know, we talked about it, and we thought, man, we should have been serving Wilk the whole game, not Vogel
1: saying <laughs> it was a big mistake. <laughs> right. Another life lesson there. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, that was. That was a life lesson. We had to, one other experience like that. And it was when I got my A rating, uh, I played in an A tournament in Sorrento before I moved to San Francisco. It was like 63, maybe 64. And uh, it was summer, and we drew. Uh, we had to play in the final. We got to the finals of the losers bracket, and we had to play Bernie Holzman and a guy
1: named Jake Jensen. Jack Jensen. Bernie he was, was a bigger built like, guy, yeah, right? Yeah,
0: Bernie was like in the end of his career or toward the end of his career, and Jensen had just won Rookie of the Year in the in the Nationals, and he was a heavy duty hitter. And it was, again, it was like a mixed doubles team where Bernie stood on the sidelines and uh, we were serving Jansen just because it was windy and we didn't want to serve any out. And, you know, Bernie would set him and we were dead. Jansen would kill the ball. And so then we switched over to Bernie and he would set on one. He would set the pass. And chance <laughs> that would kill the ball. <laughs> so we, we played pretty good. I mean, we didn't lose really. It was probably like 15-11 or 15-12. But we lost to them. But we placed third, which was good enough to get a single-A rating. But, uh, yeah, he was he was another. Uh, both of them were good players. And, and Holzman, you know, some, in one of your interviews, somebody said they didn't know how tall he was. Or maybe it was on facebook but he wasn't tall at all i mean he was like five seven or five eight because i stood next to him we had a picture taken
1: with him and i stood next to him and he was the same size as me so yeah because i've heard bernie was six foot from some people and but you know the like i remember talking to like other people uh, that, you know, are like, no, he was probably closer to 5'8", 5'9", 5'10", at the, at the very most. But that's what makes it even all the more impressive was how good he was. Um, I know oh, Selznick yeah. considered him the best digger uh, ever. And that. And But then he also, on top of that, then just could put the ball away and had, like, unshakable confidence. Wish I could that's have seen those guys. Position.
0: Yeah, unshakable confidence. So that's a great description. He really was. I saw him before we played him in the A tournament. I saw him in the Mission Beach Open twice. And he played in 61. He played with Boardwell. And he did the same thing. Boardwell would cover three, of the, three fourths of the court. And uh, Holtzman would stand on the sideline. And then the next year in 62. He played with Spike boards and Spike would cover three fourths of the court, and uh, Holtzman would play on the sidelines, and they were really a tough team. I mean, they were both times, Boardwell and him, and Spike and him, were uh, really a tough team to beat. I don't, I don't think they placed in the higher part of the tournament, but maybe they got a tie for ninth or something like that. But they did really well against some of the bigger names, you know, in the tournament. So. I was really impressed uh, with uh, not so much, not even as much with Bernie as I was with Spike and uh, (laughs) Bordwell, who, uh, again, were under six foot and and really great court players.
1: See, yes, Spike is one of my favorite people to talk to. He is just such a trip, and he had those, his referral calls, because they're such good buds, they kind of give each other... The business uh, to make a leave it to Beaver reference here. Uh, he always said Spike had monkey arms, but yeah, Von Hagen had the utmost respect for Spike. I think Spike was 5'8". He was um, he had an incredible serve, from my understanding, was a great digger, um, and then uh, could you know put the ball away whether it would be with shots or enough heat to to get it down. And Von Hagen said that Spike been three or four, two or three inches taller, he would have won opens. That's how, how damn good he was.
0: Yeah, I, I think so, too. It was the height, because especially when the blocking over thing happened, you know, then that, that made him into just a shooter rather than a hitter. We played him in Santa Cruz one year, early 60s, and I can't remember who he was playing with, but he was playing the right side, and I was playing the right side on defense, and he kept doing this cut shot. <laughs> and I keep moving up a step, and moving up a step, and moving up, and I still couldn't get it. He would cut it so close to the net, you know, from the right side over to the left, and uh, very frustrating. that was a really frustrating loss uh, to him, because uh, I always thought, you know, hey, he's a guy my size, I should be able to beat him. <laughs> but uh, He was good. Yeah, <laughs> he was. He was really good. Yeah, but he was also, he was very cocky, too, you know. Spike was really, really, he
1: he uh, talked about being good, too. Yeah, yeah I think Ruffero would always joke with him and call him West Coast almost.
0: <laughs> all these <laughs> funny lines, they just That's
1: throw amazing. it back at each other all day long. I could sit there and be infatuated listening to those two uh, talk about old times. But, yeah, I heard Spike was not uh, shy, and uh, he... um. He he was one again one of those guys that had that kind of confidence and and uh, he liked the banner out there a little bit made it made it fun.
0: He did, yeah, he did. He was a good entertainer on the court. Yeah, you mentioned leave it to Beaver, and I'll just throw in one other anecdote. Uh, I, I played in another. I only played in two A tournaments before I moved to San Francisco because they didn't really have many A tournaments, and and this one I know was in '64, and. uh Somehow we were seated. I played with a different player, a different partner than Buzzy Giff. I Oh, actually, I, I played against Holtzman with a different partner, too. It was the same guy, John Nellens, who became a pretty good indoor player up here in San Diego. But we played in a Muscle Beach A tournament, and uh, one of the seated players, actually who was seated above us, uh, was Tony Dow, who was uh, Beaver's brother.
1: Oh, yeah, he was... Uh he was Wally Cleaver. Everyone's uh, you know, the the all-American big brother.
0: Yeah, yeah, and he was Wally. Yeah, and he was a he was a, a damn good volleyball player. It really surprised me. I thought, geez, how could he, uh, you know, be in this TV series and <laughs> uh, still be a good volleyball player?" But he was small. He was he was maybe five. He was shorter than I was. So, uh, but he was really good. I didn't we never got to play him in that tournament, but a friend of mine, George Claus, actually played against him and beat him. So, uh, and George wasn't too much taller than him. was a really good athlete. So, uh, but and he was a nice guy. We we kind of talked to him afterwards a little bit about the the TV show and stuff. But it surprised me that you'd find a guy like that in a in a volleyball tournament
1: you know what While we're on that topic uh i that jogs a memory when i uh interviewed uh butch uh, may he mentioned the time when he was at santa monica college uh, community college at the time with ernie Sawara and they played uh a match against um, Tony Dow, and he said Ernie just absolutely destroyed a ball and <laughs> hit him in the face, and <laughs> he just oh, he, he outgosted oh him like he did oh, Mendoza. It okay, so <laughs> ruined his. He, I guess he
2: played with a lot of the good guys. Like yeah. The, uh,
1: could you imagine poor Wally getting hammered by Ernie Sawara and, and wrecking yeah. his mug? He looked like yeah. a, a pug afterwards. I
0: remember he was pretty uh, buffed. He, you know, he was small, but he was, you know, he's pretty muscular guy. He was built pretty good, so I think he was he could survive it okay. Uh, yeah. So Ernie drilled me one time in, uh, in the Olympic Club we had the setting lines going and he was uh, on the other side of the net hitting from the left side to the right and I was setting from the right side to guys, you know, on the line. And I don't know if he was doing it on purpose or not, but I kept moving closer to the net because he kept, every time he'd go up to hit, he kept coming closer to drilling me with the ball in the setting position. That's how hard he could hit it and how down he, finally, he nailed me on the, you know, kind of the top or the back of the head. And I really, I, I was seeing stars. I mean, <laughs> it almost put me down. And uh, And everybody came over and said, okay, you know, and he said he didn't do it on purpose. But uh, <laughs> I still don't know to this day if he did or not. But, but, man, I could imagine getting hit by one of his balls like that in the front. There's a lot of guys you should, you still have left that you need to interview from that, like... Uh, Ernie and, and Rudy. Rudy was a great player, great all-around player, Ernie. In fact, I think Rudy was a better all-around player than Ernie was. Uh, and, uh, shoot, there's. Uh, did you
1: interview Gage? Was he one of your... Yeah, I did. Gage has uh, been... Um, he was one of the earlier ones that I did out on a referral from Von Hagen, and he actually has been... I can't even say enough about how good of a guy he is. Anytime I'm going to interview someone that I, I always... Um, email him and you know ask him for some ideas and he'll he's such a con- contemplative and uh analytical guy he'll get back with like several paragraphs of incredible knowledge i mean the guy's okay. mind is just amazing yeah, he really he knew, gives me yeah, good stuff he yeah he
0: volleyball and he knew the players yeah. yeah he was he was good and he played with different partners and uh he did good with whoever he played with i think He won a bunch. He won, like, maybe 40-some tournaments.
1: I think he won, I think it was 28 off the top of my head. But, you know, he should have won or could have won more, but he he, um, developed that Reuters syndrome in his knees. And um, that really uh, had an impact on him and kept him out of the game for a bit. And then when he did get back into it, he didn't have quite the same springs, but like any um KG veteran, he then developed like into an even better digger afterwards. And then he partnered up with Mangus and they had a lot of success together and they could ball control and dig teams off the court literally. And uh so had he not been hurt he probably would have won double the or at least, you know, twenty five percent more tournaments, but he still did pretty damn well, uh considering Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I'll say. Yeah, he was one of the greats, so, yeah, there's a, I don't know, who did we leave out? Let's see. What about, what about... Well, Butch May. Yeah. Butch is, <laughs> yeah, he's a fabulous player, and those were great interviews with Butch, He uh, and he played, he was a great indoor player, uh, I played with him actually at the Marina Greens one time in doubles, and we knew each other at the Olympic Club, and, uh, but that was before he moved to Southern California, yeah he was one of the all-time great
1: being that you competed indoors collegiately on the grass on the beach um on the olympic club uh indoors USVBA type stuff let's talk about hitters diggers and and players so uh as always people are always most impressed by the some of the hardest or best hitters So. If you had to run off a list, be they beach or indoor or combination, let's hear who some of the most impressive ones were for you.
0: Okay, so the, the hardest hitters uh, would be Bergman, would be one for sure. Everybody mentions him, but uh, he was really, uh, that was it. I mean, he could get his whole body twisted around. When he was playing the left side, he could hammer a ball straight down on the right side because he would twist his whole body and uh, it would be almost impossible to dig a ball like that. Uh, Bergman was uh, one of the hardest. Chester Goss, who I've mentioned. Shamalas, who I've mentioned. Uh, Ernie, Ernie Sawara. naturally. I mean, he hit it. Ernie hit a really heavy ball. I mean, even when he, when he didn't hit it down, it could knock you over. I mean, indoors, we, when I was playing for San Francisco State, we played UCLA in the Far Westerns, our, our first match. And we were a ragtag team. We, uh, we had just guys from the intramurals. And, uh, it was me and Griffin and Brian Lewis. And, uh, and we had a couple of other guys that, uh, weren't named brands at all. And we played UCLA our first match. This was in 67. And UCLA was the top seed in the college division. And they had Rundle and Ernie Sawara. And they had another guy, Mike Alio, who could really hit the ball and was was a good guy and, uh, shoot, I don't even know there were some other big names that I know at one to...
1: point Erickson played uh, indoors for them too when they were there, and I remember Rundle saying he just used to love to pass the ball and then watch <laughs> those two guys get set, and he'd have a bird's eye perch to watch Sawara so and Erickson just crush balls until Wooden told uh, Al uh, he's not playing anymore <laughs> we need him on the basketball court yeah,
0: well, we we got a we got actually in the first game we got ahead of them you know it was like 8 to 5 or something like that and Al skates called a timeout and he said i don't know what he said it was probably something like what's wrong with you guys these guys are a joke this team they're a bunch of you know mural and beach players that got thrown together and we're the national champ and so they came back on i don't know if we even scored another point that game or the next point but i remember earning knocked over this guy frank smith that was playing i'm glad it wasn't me because he was just to the left of me but the ball hit him right in the chest and it knocked him flat on his back you know ernie crushed one from the other side from across the court and i thought oh my god this is pretty impressive i've never seen that happen you know? But uh, yeah he hit a really heavy ball i mean even if you even if you got your hands on it it would you couldn't control it. I mean, it would bounce either really high or off to the side if it hits you or whatever. So, uh, no, he was impressive. Uh, but, then, okay, those were the heavy hitters. But then there were guys like... Uh, that I, I would call... I don't know how... I guess I'd call them efficient. That They were great hitters because they were so efficient. And Selznick was one. I mean, nobody, nobody puts him in the list of great hitters, but he hard, you know he didn't have a big jump, but he had this perfect timing and man, he would get up there and he would just snap his wrist and you know he could hit it where nobody was. He would always find an open spot to hit it. So Selznick was one of the most efficient hitters. Uh, Rundle was a great efficient hitter uh, Butch may that was he was really an efficient hitter. Uh, Jack Jack Hen was he could hit with either hand with his left or his right hand, and he you know and Jack had a really good jump too. Uh, Rudy swore Rudy was really good uh, offensively. He he had a good hit, and it, you know I'm not getting into the later period like in the 70s or you know those guys, but these are just kind of of the old school guys. Sure and. You think, oh, well, P. Dot, I mentioned him. He was a a terrific hitter, you know. So, you know, everybody in that era that, uh, well, and Matt Gage at that point, but I guess before he hurt his knee, he could really put the ball down. So, you know, everybody in that era had to be strong offensively because uh, they weren't hitting against a block, you know, because you couldn't block over really until – after 64, so, and then, uh, so that's it, that's my hitters list. Uh,
1: And now, how about, yeah, how about, uh, yeah, defense and uh, diggers? Okay, so,
0: uh, Selznick again, Ronnie Lang, they were just, uh, had no, had no equals, I mean, they were really good. Holtzman, I never, I never saw Holtzman in his prime, which was in the 50s, I think, the mid to late 50s. But he was still really damn good at on defense. What he was really good at was positioning his body in front of the ball. I guess as he got older, he didn't have the great ball control that he had when he was younger on a dig, but he would always get his hand on a dig. It would be really hard to hit a fast holesman, even in his older age. Uh, Butch May was a great defensive player. Uh, and that's what made him such a great... uh mixed doubles player, because he he could cover three-fourths of the court on defense as well as on offense, so he was a great defensive player. Jack Henn was really a good defensive player. Borgwell was really a great defensive player, uh, one of the best I've seen. Uh, Those two guys, Heiser and Kaplan that I mentioned, they were great defensive players. Yeah, the
1: two Daves.
0: Yeah, Heiser was really good. I mean, Heiser would go... If a guy was hitting straight down, he would get as close to the net as he could and try to dig the guy with his hands and or pop it over. And he was really good at that. Yeah. So they were impressive. Uh, and then let's see, what was the next? The next thing was the best players, best all-around players. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let me go through that list. Uh, Selznick and Lang, best you know all best all-around players. O'Hara and Bright, hard to beat either one. They, they didn't have many flaws. I mean, O'Hara didn't have great hands, uh, but he still managed to set Bright uh, good. He just, he wasn't a great passer with his hands. So that was one of their weaknesses. But Rundle was a great all-around player, uh, Had could do everything. Jack Henn could do everything. Butch May, Butch was a great all-around play. Could hit, he could set, could pass. Uh, Matt Gage was a great one. Uh, Nate Parrish was a great one. And Bordwell was another great one. So uh, that's my, oh wait, And then there was guys, I forgot about Pedro Velasco because uh, Velasco was a Hawaiian player that I never saw in a beach tournament, but he played for the Olympic Club one year and he didn't even make it through the whole year because he hated the weather in San Francisco was so cold. Man, he was—he could hit. He was a great hitter. He could hit with either hand, and he was a great all-around player. He had no—he had no weakness, you know, uh, Velasco. So, and a great vertical leap. So, I can't leave him out of any of these lists. Underrated players. Um, let's see. Well, again, I put Jack Hen and Butch May because they never got the partners
1: that they should have got that were equal to their talent. They were kind and of the odd man out when there was five, uh, you know, <laughs> four great guys, and they were the fifth or what have you, and then there was a drop off. Yeah.
0: yeah, they and then they both of them were kind of uh, I don't know what the word is. It's not. Uh, it's not introverted, but they weren't the kind of guys that would go up and ask
1: somebody. They weren't self promoters.
0: Yeah, they weren't self promoters. They, you know, if like Jack, uh, you know, he he would never go up to somebody and say, "Hey, I think you're you're really good. I want to play with you." You know, I think we could win a lot of tournaments. It was kind of like I don't know how they'd have to. The other guy would kind of have to come to him, and I think Butch was that same way, and. Uh, but I think either one of them, if they had had a partner like uh, a Lang or like a Rundle or like uh, even a Clem, they would have won a string of tournaments. You know, they really would have because uh, both of them played with guys. Butch Butch had a shot for a while with Rudy. I think they played in some tournaments together, Sawara, and Rudy was it was his equal as far as a great player and. Uh, and then Vogelsang, we talked about him. He was a guy that, uh, for some reason, I mean, I guess the great players, he was too much of a comic or too much of a, a prankster to that the great players thought he didn't take the game seriously enough, and maybe they wouldn't play with him because of that, you know? So I don't know, but he he probably, like you said, he was the best player not to win a tournament. Uh, Nate Parrish was the same way. He had kind of a reputation and he never played with somebody i mean if nate and what i could never understand because they were from the same tribe was nate and jack Hen never played together in a tournament and that would have been a great team you know they would have been so good and i don't know why because they liked each other they were friends but they never connected on to play together so maybe it's it was kind of a rivalry between them. Who was the best player of the San Diego Tribe? I don't know. Another guy, Danny Patterson, was kind of an underrated player. He was he was really good, he good indoors and uh, good on the beach. But again, he didn't he didn't click. It took a, a certain kind of mindset and focus and being in the zone to be like a Von Hagen or to be like a Lang and to win a bunch of tournaments in a row. You know. And then uh, Bob Clem was kind of an underrated player, although he had some real success. I think he won Manhattan a couple times. So
1: yeah, he won in seventy. Or it was in seventy-one with uh, Rundle, and they beat Bergman and Von Hagen, and that epic photo that Van Wagner took when everyone's on the on the pier. pier Yeah, it's my favorite photo ever. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but I mean. That's a
0: guy that, like, Clem is a guy that had all the skills, and he never won a string of tournaments, you know, and uh, that's what I consider underrated players, are these guys that are like a Jack Han or a Butch May or a Rudy Sawara or...
1: Nice. Um, now, in terms of uh, looking back on your career, Alan, um, you got to experience some pretty neat stuff. Um what were some of the highlights, ultimately, from your, your own playing career? And like we talked about, you know, you weren't a Von Hagen, you weren't a Lang or Selznick, but you did have some fun competing and uh, at high levels uh, on the beach, grass, and then uh, at the indoor level. So what do you consider to be some of the highlights of, of your career? Um, and then also, what do you kind of miss most about uh, those times?
0: Okay, okay, yeah. I miss being young. That's what I miss most <laughs> about. it. <laughs> I, I want to do it over again, you know. So, uh, And I, I might have, if I did it over again, instead of spending all the time I did playing volleyball, I might have played golf because I think I could have got more out of that financially and business-wise <laughs> and a whole bunch of other ways. So right. Then I got out of volleyball. But what I got out of volleyball was what we've been talking about which is the experience of being a part of this uh, culture both in the old school days and when i got to northern california but the, so the highlights of my uh, my the highlights of my indoor career was uh, the first indoor team i played on in 62 i had graduated from high school and uh, i got to play on Sandia jack hen put a team together and he took all the triple-A players from the San Diego group, the Goss brothers, and, and Nate wasn't part of it, but Don Bushler and this guy, Herschel Hendrickson, who was a great friend of Jack's, and Bill Ryan, and they needed a, a third setter, because there was another guy, Al Warner, so, so they he asked me to play, and I was only 18, and we I got on that indoor team, and there's a picture of the, six, uh, you know, of the team in Jack's uh, it was in Jack's uh, memorial thing, and it's in the Hall of Fame. So I actually got to the Volleyball Hall of Fame thanks to Jack hen Wow. And the, six, the six-man team. <laughs> and we, were, we all had to g- enroll in San Diego City College to be able to have this team, because they were gonna sponsor us as a club team, just like Santa Monica sponsored a club team indoors and jack put this all together and so you know i was a good student i was a pretty good student i could have gone to almost any college i mean not the elite colleges because i didn't even know about them but i could have gone to ucla or berkeley or any of those and uh, so my parents when i told them well i'm going to city college for a semester They thought i was nuts they said why are you going there and i said well i want to play volleyball and and i don't think they talked to me for like a month after that but anyway i i I got on this team and the highlight we played in the far western and that's when i saw these great teams this was in 1962 and hollywood had the hollywood stars had o'hara and bright and i think skates was playing for hollywood because i remember this guy playing the right side, hammering the ball. We was left-handed, and I think I'm pretty sure that was Al Skate. And we played west side with all their great players, with O'Hara and Bright, or not O'Hara and Bright, I mean uh, Selznick and Lang. And then we played uh, Santa Monica, which had a whole bunch of great beach players. And we did really well. We finished third in the Far Western. So that was the highlight. And then the next year, in '63. Jack told everybody to enroll in San Diego State. And in those days, you could do that. You could transfer really easy. You didn't have, If you were in a junior college, all you had to have was a C average, and you could get into almost any state college you wanted. So a bunch of us transferred to San Diego State, and we had the first collegiate volleyball team at San Diego State. It wasn't a varsity sport yet, but it was the first collegiate volleyball tournament or team and uh, Jack talked the Breitbart Foundation which was a big sports foundation in San Diego to sponsoring us to enter in the far westerns and we did really well there we finished either 3rd or 4th in the collegiate division and there was like 16 teams so so we played against all the best UCLA and uh, San Jose State had a really good team and actually Chico State had a really good team so So that was a highlight, playing on San Diego State's first team ever, and then I played on the Olympic Club from 64, 65, I didn't, I took 66 off, and then I played in 67, and then I played part of 68, but quit because, this is kind of interesting, and I don't know if you want to leave it in the interview or not, but uh, the Olympic Club was an anti-Semitic, club. I mean, and I I didn't know it at that time because my father was a secular Jew and my mother was Italian. So I had an athletic membership in the Olympic club, but they got in trouble because they were playing tournaments in the Alameda Naval Air Base and the government uh, clamped down and they said, hey, until you guys let Jews in the club or let black people in the club, you're not going to be able to play in these tournaments anymore. And so the Olympic Club, had, and I think it was 68, it could have been 67, but I'm pretty sure it was 68, told all the players, the Jewish players, and we had the Becker brothers who were Jewish, and I'm trying to remember who else up there from Southern Cal that were playing on the Olympic Club team. And uh, they told them, uh, look, sorry, guys, but we have to take your membership away and so they all left there anybody that was had a jewish background left the team and al monaco at the time who was the head of the thing called me in the office and he said he said look alan uh you know we want to keep you on the team and uh we probably can because your mother is, was italian and you were listed as a catholic and uh and so i said you know no way and i quit the team halfway during the year and but that was a really interesting thing i thought about about the sport thing where politics got involved sure and yeah and the, and the olympic club still today i don't even know if they allow jews or black people in the club they in san francisco they have a beautiful golf course the olympic club course and the jewish community built this course right next to theirs that's the equal to it because they couldn't join the Olympic club so they had their own course that was spectacular and they did the same thing with uh, an athletic club downtown the Jewish community built this athletic club that was fantastic but they didn't have a volleyball team so wow interesting
1: interesting interesting life events that people maybe some people didn't know about about that uh, Olympic club so that's great insight there
0: yeah, yeah, no. And uh yeah, no, so I played there. That was those were you know, the good years when before all that became an issue were were good years. I mean and and the Olympic club in sixty seven I think it was when they they Kent Dorwin, who I mentioned before, who I actually played against when he was playing with Steno, he was kinda of managing the team then in sixty seven and He recruited a whole bunch of great players from Southern California. That uh, they didn't even have to live in San Francisco, they just had to show up at the tournaments, you know, and they would pay their expenses. But there was a big advantage if you were living in San Francisco because they all got credit cards. And when they were at the club, the club had a really nice restaurant and a bar and you could charge whatever you wanted, they would cover it, You know, it would all be paid for by the club as well as your dues. And so, on that team, uh, Tommy Hayne from Hawaii, Pedro Velasco, uh, Butch May, uh, Bill Griebenau who was a, a setter, a good setter, Bill Smythe, and a lot of big name players. Oh, even Von Hagen was there for a while, and I don't know I don't know what happened with him. I saw him at the practices a couple times, and then and then he was gone, and I don't know why he was gone. And I was too caught up in my life to even ask about it or, or care about it. Uh, the Suarez, both Rudy and Ernie, and uh, they were all on the first team. And then on the second team was me and Mike Griffin and this guy Fred Sager, who was a really good player, a tall left-handed hitter. He got to go to the olympic tryouts in 68 kent dorwin oh george wagner who was a from santa cruz a really good player had won the santa cruz open two or three years so we were all on the second team and we had a pretty strong team and we would scrimmage against those really good guys the first team and play and we did really well in the far westerns we beat Diego, some of the college teams would play in the open division too, and we beat San Diego State. We beat some other good schools, and so when the nationals came in '67, they were—I think they were in New York or they're somewhere on the East Coast. I didn't go. The second team didn't go, or anybody from the second team. Only all the the great players from LA that were on the first team went back to New York, and it was a huge scandal. Uh, the team didn't win, they were, they were favored to win, they were seated first, they didn't win, and not only that, but the guys kind of went crazy with the credit cards, <laughs> and they, uh, they charged every, you know, thousands of dollars worth of charges on the Olympic club credit cards, and uh, so the, the team got disbanded after that, everybody uh, was off the team that had done that, and the Olympic Club never pressed any charges. They wanted to keep it quiet, and they covered it all, but uh, it was a huge scandal in the volleyball world at that time. And, <laughs> pretty and other guys, let's see, Rafferro was on that team, and I think uh, Steve Keel was on that team, so it was pretty interesting. They really had the cream of the crop of the good players in Southern California. Good but stuff uh, pretty interesting. So other, other highlights, uh, most of, besides the Santa Cruz Open, which I played in every year for 15 years, and my two best highlights were, I played against Wilt and Vogelsang, that was one that uh, I've lived off of that. I've got some, uh, <laughs> I, I've got a lot of mileage off of that. I have a good picture of me playing against Wilt. And, uh, and then, uh, I played with a guy, Paul Campbell, who I first met when he was a setter for Hollywood Y way back in 62, I guess it was. And mm-hmm. I played in the late 60s with him. And I got my best finish in the Santa Cruz Open. And it was, it was, at this point, there was a lot of good players from Southern California playing in the Open. And we finished uh, ninth in the tournament. I got to this late in the day in the second day. So that was a big thrill to me because uh paul was was a really good player he could set the ball really good so that was that was a highlight and then uh, i played for four decades doubles on the marina greens and in san francisco which had a big click of volleyball players from you know the colleges, stanford and from berkeley and they on the weekends. If it was, the weather was good, everybody would play at the Marina Greens. And, uh, after probably the first 20 years, it was just rec, you know, matches there, but then they started organizing tournaments and they would have a Marina Greens open. And there was a circuit of grass tournaments in Northern California. And so I, I placed in every Marina Green open I played in, uh, I won the draw tournament 3 times and my biggest win ever on the grass was I got a triple A rating in 1992 and I was like in my late 40s and uh, we won the Palo Alto Open my partner and I and at that point in my life I had developed a, a pretty good jump serve I, uh, I I could you know I always had a strong arm and a good swing and so I could do it from the jump serve, and we, we beat two two All-Americans from Princeton, of all, of all places, who were seeded number two or one in the tournament, and we got a AAA rating, so that was kind of thrilling. And, and the next week, we played in the Menlo Park grass open, and we were seeded first, and we only finished third, so that was disappointing. But those were kind of the highlights mm. of my grass tournament career and uh, the the other thing about volleyball that was really good for me is if you were a pretty good player and you knew how to play anywhere you went where there was volleyball being played at a pretty good level you could play you know you could just come up to the court and ask them if you know you could get winners and you could get on the click and play against players you know and uh so I, got, I played in Cannes in France when we were there in 1969, and I spent a whole day at the beach, my wife and I, and I played with all these French guys that were good players. <laughs> they even They couldn't speak English, but there was a couple, an older couple there from Santa Monica that were our interpreters, and they played an interesting way of playing beach. Instead of doubles, they played three people on a team and you would have a fixed position. You were either the setter, the strong side hitter, or the right side hitter. And uh, so they, you know, out of courtesy, they put me in as the, the right side hitter rather than the setter, even though that was my expertise. And, uh, God, it was really fun. I mean, they were really nice. And uh, so that was a, a great experience. Whenever I went on business on my sales calls in Northern California, when I went to Berkeley, they had two courts right over there and one of my best accounts was the university because we were selling TdK,
2: remember when cassette tapes and uh, <laughs> yeah CD tracks were
0: the, so that i was I would call on that account and sell them and uh, they had two volleyball courts, so I would always leave the after my sales call, I'd go over and play volleyball and I Played against Bob Pape and Larry Proud and a bunch of those guys that were part of the Berkeley group. They were really good players. Same thing down at Stanford. There was guys that had courts up there, and I played there. So, you know, anywhere I went, I got to play volleyball. If I went to Monterey, I got to play there and Santa Cruz. So it did it did have an advantage if you if you had some skill at playing volleyball. In Tahoe, the same thing. We got to play up there. I played. Against Rundle and Alio up in Tahoe, so yeah, volleyball served me well there.
1: You know, uh, what did you ultimately end up doing for a, a career, Alan, uh, outside of uh, the volleyball world? And then, um, what are you up to nowadays? Where are you living? Do you have family? And uh, what are your hobbies? And then uh, we'll call it uh, we'll call it a day here, pal.
0: Got in the business work and. Uh, then I thought, well, why work for somebody in this business? I can start my own company. And so I started my own company in consumer electronics. That's what we, we specialized in. And we were reps of Sanyo. I don't know if you remember Sanyo was a I TV and do. stereo line. And, and we were reps for Fisher, which was another audio video line. And we had TDK tapes and we had Sony telephones. So we had a lot of good uh, consumer electronic lines. And it was an exciting industry because there were so many inventions, you know, from the first uh, telephone answering machine, which was two little, real, real, little reel to reel tapes inside of a box called uh, the PhoneMate, I think it was. Uh, And then to the recording to VCR to beta versus VHS and recording uh, machines where you could record off a TV and then the flat screen TVs and all these innovations we were right in the heart of them, in the middle of all of that in the company so had a pretty successful company and in 2006 I uh, I was 62 and I wanted out of the business I uh, my My children were living in San Diego, we were living in San Francisco, and uh, we were flying down to San Diego like every weekend because we had a new granddaughter and we wanted to spend time with her. And so I just said, hey, we gotta get out of this. We gotta quit and we gotta move down to San Diego back to where I grew up. And so uh, my wife agreed and she had a good job. She was uh, an assistant to the dean of a a really good private school in San Francisco, but uh, so I sold my part of the business, and uh, she quit, and we moved to San Diego and and retired, and uh, it's been a great life. I mean, I've been all the friends that I had back in the early days when I was a teenager were still here, and there was no difference. It was like I never left. I mean, I was immediately they were friends again and we were it was just like we, those 40 years in between or so uh, never happened and so I was very lucky that way and, and I still surf I get to surf and I surfed all that time And
1: uh, Do you have a skip see, we, fry uh, do you have a, a custom skip fry board made for you Alan be honest with me you, in your quiver
0: I, I never did that I I when I first left the uh, the business and came down here i i was involved with this company called Surftech, surf tech and i was trying to get skip to shape boards for them they would they were going to pay him a hundred bucks he didn't even have to shape the board all he had to do was let them use a template which was a pattern and they would have the boards made and they'd pay him a hundred bucks for every one. and they would have sold thousands of the boards but Skip is such a purist and such an authentic guy. He just said, No. He said, I don't want to, you know, he says, I want when somebody buys a Skip Fry board, it's going
1: to be a hand shaped board by me. And that's where the value in the board is. Oh, so, uh, I can yeah, agree, I, agree with that. That's for months awesome. I tried to convince him, and I wasn't a good enough salesman to convince him. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't own one because I asked him, I said, You know, if I wanted one,
0: you know, would you give me wholesale? he says, Of course. And then he said, uh, but you gotta wait about six months. I'll put you on the bottom of the list. <laughs> I said, no way, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I really rubbed it in because I bought two of the boards from Surftech Dewey Weber boards, and uh, <laughs> Skip new Dewey really well. So, But we're, we're very happy, we, we live down here, we're in our, I'm 77, my wife's 75, and we're still playing beach volleyball every Sunday and I never got to tell you about our whole crew there, but uh, I'll save that for another time.
1: Sounds like a plan. Well, Alan, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. You gave some great insight on uh, the perspective uh, from the San Diego um, area and all the, uh, the people that were instrumental in it from Off and Chester Goss and, and uh, that uh, WIMP Mendoza. Just kidding, Bob, you're a stud, and uh, the neat things that you got to do in it and see with the players, so I appreciate it greatly. This is um, some good stuff, pal.
0: (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Scott, and I really appreciate, and what I don't think you get enough from the guys that you talk to, and I don't know why, because they should just be thrilled that you're doing what you're doing, which is keeping that era alive. And uh, keeping the memories of that era alive, and, uh, you know, it it can easily be forgotten. So I just hope those guys appreciate what you're doing,
1: because uh, I sure do, and I love reading all the stuff on Facebook. So thank you. All right, bud. Well, um, thank you very much, Alan. you lived up to your uh, your uh, your what's that Woody Allen movie you love so much? Then uh, the oh, yeah. that's the my, one of my favorite <laughs> phrases. Yeah. Well, I, th- I sent you that email saying that uh, I
0: feel like I really do feel like I was kind of a uh, a modern day Zelig because I was a, you know I I was in the birth of the surf culture and and all the great surfers and I knew a lot of them. And I was in the birth of the volleyball beach culture, and then in my business, you know, I was right in the middle of the tech industry in uh, Silicon Valley and San Francisco, and then, uh, you know, I, I actually I did movie reviews, so I was involved in, I mean, there's so many things, I did some modeling I was involved in, I my old college counselor told me, "You want to be a Renaissance man. If you want to be successful in this world, you got to be a Renaissance man. So
2: <laughs>
0: you don't have to be good at just one thing. You got to be good at a bunch of things." So, I think I, I accomplished that at least.
1: Yeah, you were the man who was there. That's that's yeah. basically <laughs> sums it up, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Although I stole that line from my
0: friend, you know, Greg Weatherby, but I thought it fit me, too. <laughs> yeah,
1: an ordinary man doing ex- uh, extraordinary things. So, all right, yeah, well... I mean, extraordinary times. I really think that was it. I got to experience extraordinary times, and I still do. I'm still alive, but uh, I'm just an ordinary guy. Well done. Okay, Alan, thank you so much. Take care, thank
0: buddy. You, God. I'm off this- off to the golf course. All right. <laughs> Have
1: fun out there. Don't be like Happy Gilmore. See ya. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, great movie. All right. Take care of yourself. Thank All right. You. This wraps up our two-part interview with Alan Siegel. Hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank Alan for taking the time to provide some outstanding insight into the San Diego area volleyball scene from the 50s on. Thanks so much, Alan. With that, I'll let you go. Thank you for listening. Take care.